Welcome to Bible study. It's very good to have you with us today again. Thank you for joining in. It's our pleasure to open the Bible and a privilege to learn at the foot of Jesus. We are talking about the present truth in Deuteronomy. And today it's a beautiful one because we are going to compare Old Testament with New Testament. The Bible, it's one, and we like to look at it as a whole. I'd like to welcome our panel, and I will start with Will. Good to have you with us, Will. Thank you. It's a privilege and a pleasure, Nick. And Joe, thank you for joining. Yes, it's wonderful to be here. Thank you, Nick. Ken, thank you for being part of this also. Thank you, Nick. It's always a pleasure to be here. Helen, thank you for joining us. It's an absolute delight. Thank you so much. Len, welcome back. It's good to have you with us again. Thank you, Nick. And we understand we have a a great responsibility in sharing truth from the Word of God. And hello, listeners. And Brenton, it's good to have you with us. And thank you for preparing this Bible study. You are our facilitator. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Nick. Uh, We look forward to being able to share this today. All right, Brenton, no further comments. Please take us through. Thank you, Nick. Um, Our study, as has been alluded to, is Deuteronomy in the New Testament. I don't know whether people are aware, but in the New Testament, Deuteronomy is quoted an awful lot. And uh, we're going to be looking at some aspects of it today. Some of the ones that stick out clearly are certainly where Christ quoted from Deuteronomy in the wilderness of temptation. And that will be the very first section that we look at in our study today. However, before we do that, I'd like to actually read a statement, which I found interesting. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's a direct quote from the Old Testament. Thus, he showed that it is far less important to provide ourselves with food than that we should obey the word of God. Those who obey God's word have the promise of all things needed for the present life and the life to come. What a precious promise that we can share with um, our panel and our listeners today. So in this study, we will be looking at how Christ quoted scripture to sustain himself during the wilderness of temptation, experience, and how God does not show partiality, an interesting subject. How Moses prophesied that one like him would come to redeem Israel, and a warning in Hebrews not to treat lightly the infinite sacrifice of the Son of God for our lives. Helen, before we go ahead, obviously we need the the guidance of the Holy Spirit in our study, and I'm asking if you would pray for us, then we will start with our first section, It Is Written. Thank you. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we are so, so grateful that you are our God, our Father, our King, our Lord, our Saviour, and you are awesome and amazing. Father, we are dealing with your word and a comparison between Deuteronomy and um, Matthew when Jesus was tempted. Father, I pray that we will learn many lessons today, perhaps some things that we haven't noticed before, but we do ask that the Holy Spirit lead and guide us every step of the way. Let this not be about us or about our own opinions, but may it be holy and solely from you, Father. Bless not only us, but please bless every person that listens in today or through the recording. Father, I pray all will be blessed. You are mighty, you are awesome, 
And thank you for allowing us to do this um, in your name, we pray. Amen. Thank you, Helen. And before Helen leads us in the first section, just a little bit, bit of background. Most of our listeners would be familiar with the Wilderness of Temptation. It's interesting that a lot of people don't seem to spend a lot of time on this, and yet it's such an important section because Christ here is laying the groundwork for his work as our Redeemer and our Saviour. It begins with, after Christ's baptism, Christ going into the wilderness of temptation. The Bible says he was led there by the Holy Spirit. And for 40 days and 40 nights, he didn't eat or drink. And obviously, at the end of that time, he was very, very famished. What's interesting, um, as Helen begins to lead us into this, is that the first two of the three temptations... Satan doesn't appear as Satan. He appears as an angel who has come to strengthen Christ or to just to um, be there for him. It's only in the third temptation when he fully unmasks himself that we realize that he, as the disputed king of this world, is offering the world to Christ for nothing or what he considers nothing. Helen, if you could share with us uh, uh, Matthew 4, verses 1 to 11. You can either read it or summarise it as you see best. And um, also Christ's response, which is taken straight from the book of Deuteronomy in uh, Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. Thank you. Okay. Well, in actually summarising, it's interesting in this temptation in the wilderness, it's interesting the Holy Spirit led him to the wilderness. I think he yes, was getting yes. a, mm. a step ahead of, of Satan on that one. And as you've mentioned, um, say Christ was tempted. He was tempted because Satan wanted to divert Christ from his mission and overcome him. So he came at a time when Jesus was vulnerable mm-hmm. uh, and after 40 days of fasting. He actually, I believe, tried to distract Jesus from his main goal of dying victoriously for humanity. You know, it was as though the devil wanted to confuse Jesus and turn him away from his goal of saving humans and destroying evil. He tried to redirect Christ's focus and gain victory, and he tried to put doubts into the mind of Christ. If you'll notice in each of the three temptations, there was a small two-letter word that Satan used, and that was the word if. If you be this, if you will do this, you know, if you notice three times, three temptations and three times he actually mentioned the word if. But each one of these three temptations, I believe, was aimed at important aspects of Jesus's ministry. And I believe the first one, which we're going to talk about straight off here, the first one, Satan was, you know, we read it and we think that's all about appetite. It's all about food. But in actual fact, I believe that Satan questioned the messiahship of Jesus. Mm-hmm. He was challenging his close relationship with the Heavenly Father, and he wanted to cast doubt on Christ's conviction that he was the divine son of man. I don't know if anybody's been in a situation where they were sure of something and then something happened and the doubts came in. I had that experience when I was first called um, into ministry, and I had a lady rang me, and she I didn't know her, I'd never met her, But she got on the phone for two and a half hours and she belittled me the whole way through, number one, the whole way through. Number one, because I'm a woman. Number two, she said I was going against the Holy Spirit. Number three, because at that time I was divorced and I was in a relationship with an abusive man. She said I was being punished. Now, you would think that that wouldn't have got to me, but it did. 
the doubts were there. And at the end of it, I took it back to God and I said, did you call me to this ministry? Lord, I believe you did, but you need to show me completely, take away all the doubts. And he showed me in a very interesting way two months later. And um, now when people challenge my ministry, I say, talk to my father about that one. He's the one that called me. And and God does that. He will take the doubts away. But it's interesting that here he was challenging Christ, you know, um, challenging that he was actually the divine son of God or son and son of man who came to live amongst humans. Now, he wanted Jesus to question his status uh, about being the son of God, but he, he couldn't. He couldn't. And why couldn't he? Because Jesus was totally committed to the will of his father. You might remember there was a time, I mean, what was the temptation? The temptation was he, he came to Christ when he was vulnerable and he said, if you be the son of man, son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now, that wouldn't be a temptation for any of us here, would it? No. No, but it was a temptation because Jesus came as the son of God and the son of man, and he could have done it. So mm. there was the temptation there. And, and you'll notice that there's a, there's a text and I haven't got it right in front of me, but there is a text in scripture that I read where, um, Jesus was saying to his disciples, I'm here to do the, the will of my father. That is my meat is to do the will of my father. And I think we can link those together. Hmm. But yes, in looking at this, this whole section of what we think is appetite, I believe he wanted Jesus to use to make means to prove he was the son of God. And that was a big, big temptation. You know, Satan wanted Jesus to transgress that principle. And if he had of, what would have happened? Yes. Satan would have gained the victory. Mm. I'm so glad that Jesus did not go into the fact of using his divinity to help himself you know, and to perform miracles on his own behalf. Jesus didn't do that. He embraced a life of humility and service. And Satan came to Christ. He tried to divert him. But Jesus gave a wonderful answer. And, again, it starts with the words, it is is written. Mm. Yes, and if we look at Matthew 3.17, we've got confirmation from God that he already had God's approval. Yes. You remember when he came out of baptism, The Lord said, this is my beloved son on whom I am well pleased. You know, I mean, you've got the prophecies there. You've got the fulfillment of prophecy. But let's remember that right the way through, Satan is using this principle even today in saying, if, if. And, and, you know, Jesus said, is it, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Every word. That's the spiritual aspect. We need to take that into consideration as we look at all of these temptations. You know, no one was tempted as Jesus was. Yeah. You know, we might think we are tempted more, but we're not. He was tempted more so than we are, and yet he was without sin. Something I think is uh, rather important in that, and it, it's a slight uh, deviation, but it's a pity that more people don't read this particular section because one major reason I see is the fact that it clearly states Satan is the ruler of this world. And I think that's an important thing that a lot of people miss. There is a belief in some religious circles 
that the Old Testament is not to be concerned about. Only the New Testament counts. I had somebody say to me one time, I believe in Jesus and what he said, but I don't believe in all that Old Testament stuff. However, Jesus himself quoted and believed in the Old Testament. So somebody who holds that opinion, as was said to me, ignoring a lot of uh, what the Bible says, yes, I think it's being willfully ignorant. Mm-hmm. There is another point. Yes. We've been talking about Jesus being in the wilderness and being tempted out there. But the question is, why did the Spirit lead Jesus into the wilderness? Yeah, good point. Just this morning in our family worship, my wife and I were reading from part of the book Selected Messages, and here's a statement which I thought was answering that question, why was Jesus led into the wilderness? It says, The plan of God devised for the salvation of men and women provided that Christ should know hunger and poverty and every phase of humanity's experience. And then it goes on to say, He withstood the temptation through the power that humanity may also command. So I thought that was very interesting that Jesus went through this experience in order to relate to our experience. This is a very interesting topic. It is. And and Jesus himself, um, I think, has already been mentioned, quoted scripture. Now, one can't quote scripture, Brenton, without first knowing, being acquainted with scripture. So, because it's only scripture that we can expose error and without knowing the truth, we don't know what's right and what's wrong. So first of all, as an example to us, we really need to know, need to know what is truth in order to expose yes. error. We can't trust feeling. Jesus didn't say, look, you know, um, away with you, Satan. I feel that this isn't right. And sometimes we're tempted in the modern age to go by feeling and what feels right and what doesn't. Yes. Now, I feel that the, a more contemporary um, aspect to this temptation is our own inclination to nurture and feed the temporal over our spiritual. We get caught up in looking after the present-day needs of yeah. maintaining our life, our lifestyle, our families, and that we mm. tend to neglect what's really important. We can fall into that trap. And we forget that in him we live and move and have our being without Christ There is no life. Um, He was our example, is our example. And I think in Bible times, he tried to demonstrate what was most important in life. Now, Jesus had Moses and the prophets. That's the only scripture they had, really. And the Jews also had Moses and the prophets, um, but they failed to see and understand. But here, Jesus was the living example of Moses and the prophets, and he's demonstrating the principles that are pleasing to God. So he is living out the life that was enjoined and instructed in Deuteronomy. So he is basically a living example of what Moses had been talking about. So it's really encouraging. It's, it's, I think it's more than appetite. It's yes. also where do you put Helen your trust? Where do yeah. you put your faith? Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you, Helen. And then Will. 
Yeah, just a couple more comments. And it's interesting that Joe should bring up that they only had the Torah. And I find it interesting to notice that the Jewish people at that time, or not just the Jewish, but all people at that time, particularly the Jewish, were admonished to memorize. And they could quote whole books. Yes. I mean, some of us struggle to quote just a text or two. Yes. And um, so I think that was an important point. But also important for us that Jesus didn't argue with the devil. He Correct. didn't debate with him. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a very important point. But one more, I thought it was also interesting to note that Jesus, not only Jesus, but also Satan referred to Scripture. But only Jesus, only Jesus is the one that points us to God. And yeah. um let me tell you, Satan knows the Bible backwards. I've had an experience, and um, I think some of you know the experience I had uh, with an angel of the dark side. And mm. he quoted, he quoted the scripture, but he misquoted. Yes. And he misquoted some of Jesus' words and certainly didn't like the book of Revelation. But, you know, it's not good to argue. For me, it was good that, at that time that the Holy Spirit took over, and that's who we must rely on. Yeah, thank you, Helen. Um, Just something in summarising this particular section. Where was Christ when this temptation took place? In the wilderness. In the wilderness, okay. Children of Israel. Moses was with the children of Israel in the wilderness. The statement that you read out, from Deuteronomy is based on their experience in travelling through the wilderness where not only did God feed them physically, he also fed them spiritually. And I believe it's the spiritual lesson that he was wanting to do. What Christ is doing here is going over the ground where Israel failed and demonstrating that it is possible to be obedient to God's will and it is possible to be 100% following him and that He trusted his father to such a degree that even though he'd been without food for 40 days, he believed that at the appropriate time, his father would look after his physical needs as well as his spiritual needs. Isn't that wonderful news? The first big temptation, if you are the son of God, you pointed that out so well, if you are the son of God, he's already answered that. Now we move on to the second one. The second one has to do with, I've called it presumption. But, um, Joe, I wondered if you'd share that with us. Perhaps if you could read Psalm 91, verse 11, which is the part he quoted, and someone said earlier on that he missed out a verse, and it was verse 9, and then also have a look at Christ's response in Deuteronomy 6.16. Thanks, Joe. Thank you, Brenton. I think you mentioned verse 11. Uh, it says, For he commands his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Mm-hmm. Now, I guess, I guess we get to the second temptation, what is known as the second temptation. And that's, it starts in verse five of chapter four of Matthew. It says, then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Now, Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to test. So here we have Satan. He says in the first temptation, he did not quote scripture. Jesus did. Yes. Okay. And so Satan here 
he probably says to himself, oh, he wants to quote scripture, does he? Well, I'll give him one. So here he challenges Jesus, and this, this is very sophisticated, and I think Helen has already mentioned she that has. he is now challenging. He is now challenging Jesus to prove himself the son of God. If he truly was what he said he would be, he would, he would be able to claim this promise, right? Mm-hmm. With the subtle implication that he either may not truly believe that he is the son of God and that he is, and is afraid to claim this promise in the word of God or that he doesn't believe it himself. Yes. So it confronts Jesus' own belief in who he is or was, a question of his own identity. Either he didn't believe in the Bible promise or he didn't believe that he was the son of God and could claim it. Mm-hmm. If he truly believed then, he would have no fear in doing as was challenged by Satan. If he had jumped to demonstrate his faith in his mission or in the belief of the promises of protection, as put in Psalm 91, yes, would have been for the wrong reason, wouldn't it? It would have been to exonerate himself and not according to what, what the father had instructed. It was very cunning and sinister logic on Satan's part. And so could we, the question to my mind is, could we fall into a similar trap, acting presumptuously and all the while claiming God's promises? I think there's plenty there for the panel to comment, but it was a question of Satan was now trying to use Scripture to trip to trip Jesus up mm. and causing him to question his own mission, his own identity, his own faith in Scriptures and challenging him to prove that he yeah. was actually who he was and he actually believed it. Yeah. And all the time on the basis it wasn't God's will to do that for him. And, of course, that's where he says to him the answer was, okay, well, you qu- quoted one scripture and I say to you that it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. What is this he is saying there, like, Joe? What is he saying, saying there? Don't, God has not asked me to do this and I will not test his protection, test him in trying to honour your challenge or to um, to step up to what you have asked me to. I mean, I'll step yeah. down rather. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Is he also making a statement that when he says don't tempt the Lord your God, is he also talking about himself? In the, in the sense of yes. what he you shall not tempt the Lord your God. I believe he's oh, well, in himself, in his own godhood, in yeah. his own godhood. Yes, he's that's what I'm saying. That he's he's saying yeah. you you should not tempt me. Any that's comments right. from the the panel on this one? I read a statement that about the second temptation that said testing God from the top of the temple was an inducement to avoid a life of humble service and self denial and the need to disguise his true identity. Interesting comment. Yes, and also, of course, we've noted here, which we said before, Satan actually misquoted scripture. Yes, Yes, he did. Thanks, Helen. It's interesting that Jewish tradition stated that the Messiah would stand on the roof of the temple. That's that's quite an interesting uh, comment that I read recently that I thought I'd share with you. Just to give you a quick example of uh, presumption, and uh, Joe, you covered it pretty well, uh, I read a story recently, I believe it happened as recently as last year, in, um, of all places, Africa, in Zimbabwe. Uh, a certain minister there apparently made the claim that if Christ could walk on water, so could he. 
And apparently this is documented. You could probably find it if you did a bit of a search on Google, you could probably find it. He decided he was going to walk across a river called, believe it or not, the Crocodile River. Now, that was probably not a good idea, but uh, his um, <laughs> he went down there <laughs> and w- waded out into the water and disappeared and three crocodiles took him. So I guess two things. Number one, uh, the congregation are looking for a new minister. And number two, I guess they're probably uh, wondering whether this was what, what, what was wrong with his approach? Wasn't it presumptuous? God had not asked him to do this. This is something he'd taken upon himself. Yeah, hands are going up everywhere. <laughs> I just noticed that you, you keep using the word presumption. For me, presumption can also be pride or arrogance of life, yes. you know, um, yeah. what leads us to presume like that. I don't believe it's like taking God for granted. Yes. And that's what would have happened if Jesus had done exactly what Satan had, had asked for. But um, we've got to be very, very careful of that in our own life. Very yes, careful. We do. Uh, Joe and then Nick. I think uh, <laughs> with this presumption and, and this example of the minister, he actually, this was all about self-exaltation. and um, You could and, read it that way, yes. Yeah, very, very much of self-exaltation. And I think there's also that, you know, when Peter was walking on water, he fell in the water when he turned to look, thinking how wonderfully he was doing, and he looked mm. to see if others were watching him. And so I think this is the undoing um the presumption is based on self-exaltation, getting brownie points with people. Um, I think also Simon Magus, is it Magus, the magician? Yeah, another example. He wanted the Holy Spirit because he wanted this power. He could make money out of it. It would make him look very important. And, Mm. you know, I think this is an object lesson that, um, you know, that the self must, um, it must be in ashes. It must not rise to be confused with God's power or God's work. Yeah, good point. Nick, you had a thought for us. I just want to say something here, probably a little bit different, uh, just to turn around a little bit uh, that picture which we are drawing here. Even though uh, Jesus did amazing uh, miracles and uh, he showed us how to stand firm in in your faith. Yes. Um, but Jesus said also, that what you have seen here, you'll do even more yes, than, say that. than uh, what you have seen. What that means, are we going to disclaim or to say, oh, that uh, we cannot do what Jesus was doing? Or should we understand where our place is? Because we can do things, as you pointed out already, just to show uh, what you are capable of. Or you should represent Jesus. Because if you represent Jesus, if you walk in his footsteps, you'll do things which this world will not be able to to grasp. You know That's true, Nick. And that's probably where we are struggling right now. Because in the, generally, uh, you see some things going on in this world, but may not have that connection with what God wants from us. On the other hand, you see that lethargy or lack of faith yes. yeah. that we are keep saying that, uh, oh, that could be presumptuous or, oh, that could be a bit too 
arrogant or who, who knows what, what we can use. Yeah. Bottom line is that through these examples, which we learn from the Bible, all of them are for our good, for learning. It's an yes. object lesson for us. And we yeah. should put ourselves in the picture. We are not just going to look historically what happens mm. there. We are going to apply it in our life. Now, mm. we all will go through those challenges. We may all um, go through the wilderness of yeah. our faith. We may mm-hmm. all have that uh, Jacob's night struggle. Yeah. You know? wrestling, wrestling at the brook. Yeah. That's right. All of mm. those things, if we don't experience those things, then I believe it's a very dry mm. of our faith or our uh, spiritual life. Even if yeah. we know the scripture like Satan knew the mm. scripture, but for him was just dry. You know, for him was, he had only one agenda. Yeah. Nick, it didn't, he, it didn't have any living power. Absolutely. And we yeah. can know scripture mm. yeah. uh, inside out and yeah. all those things. And if we don't put in yeah. practice what we learn from the scripture, you know, how it says that the Bible will be, will be drier than the, the hills of Gilboa. Gilboa, yeah. You've, you've got the right application there. Joe, you had a thought for us. Sometimes we think that, um, you know, sometimes we want, we want amazing things to happen. We want to do amazing things in God's name. And, um, but <laughs> we don't realize that Jesus, we, we want the amazing power and abilities and miracles, but we don't want the obedience. We don't yes. want to know that in, yeah. in the wilderness, this was a teaching time. It says that God disciplined them, but not in the punishment sort of way. He actually disciplined them by teaching and by yes. training them to trust him, to walk with him, to obey him. And I think that sometimes we forget that and we're drawn to the spectacular. You know, you know, people love signs and wonders, but they don't want the the privation the the discipline of being yes. obedient to god and i think that's something that's overlooked quite often we want it's the spectacular good, but not mm, the humble yep. and obedient yeah it's a good thought just think about this one before len leads us through the third temptation and that's this if christ had thrown himself down from the temple remember satan could not compel him to do so it would have had to have been his own will that he chose to jump off the top of the temple. Who would have observed it? It would have been Satan and the angels and God. That's it. There wouldn't have been any other observers to it. Once again, Christ came to save the world. What implication would that have had for the world? I believe the implications were were severe. Had Christ done that, I believe the plan of salvation would have been in jeopardy because it would have demonstrated that at any point in his future ministry, If he saw fit, he would step out of the will of God and do his own thing. And I think that's a a major, major issue that we have to remember today in 2021. Whenever we step outside the will of God, we're always on unsafe ground. Len, you're going to lead us through the third temptation. Now we say the gloves are off. (laughs) Um, It's almost as though Satan is saying, you know who I am and I know who you are. I'm offering you a way out. You do not have to go to the cross. You can have all of this. All you have to do is one simple thing. Lead us through it. Thanks, Len. Okay. Well, before I do, 
I think there's an object lesson for us as human beings to learn from this whole situation. Jesus had been in the desert fasting for 40 days. That's over a month. And he was probably at his weakest. And it was at this time that Satan came to him to tempt him. I think it also applies to us. When we are stressed, unhappy, feeling like we are not um, achieving anything or something like that, there might be trouble with the family or something like that, this is the perfect opportunity for the devil to step in to tempt us to do wrong. Well, that was the first thing. All right, Helen's mentioned about uh, how Satan tempted Christ to turn stones into bread. Yes. Joe's been talking about the presumption of jumping off the temple to be saved. And the third one, um, you've already alluded a bit to this, Brenton, but here's a point. And I will read the uh, uh, relevant text and then I'll comment. Sure. Here's the third one again. The devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And uh, I'll stop just there. You see, Jesus came to save the world, right? Yes. That was one of the reasons he came. He came to save lost sinners. And uh, here's Satan saying to him, well, here's an easy way to get around that. You can have the world if you'll only bow down and worship me. To me, it wasn't a very good deal. In fact, I think it was a very poor deal. It's like... um, Why do you say that, Len? Well, Jesus was the creator. Um, If you listeners want to look this up, look in uh, the book of John, the first chapter, look in Colossians 1, verses 14 to 16, look in Hebrews verses uh, chapter 1, verses 1, 2, and 3. You can see there for yourself that Jesus created the world. Here's Satan saying to Jesus, you can have the world, the world that he created. But, of course, there was something stepped in, sin came in. Mm, yes. Here was the deal. He said, bow down and worship me, and you could have it. Saves you going through all this trouble, the, the pain, the torture, the death on the cross, etc., etc. Just worship me, you can have it. Well, we wouldn't have got anything out of that. But Jesus, again, referring to the Old Testament, and in this case, referring to Deuteronomy 6, verse 13, says, for it is written. Mm-hmm. This is Old Testament stuff. Those of you who doubt the validity of the Old Testament, you'll have to think again because Jesus quoted the Old Testament. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And Jesus dismissed Satan. Yes. Which shows that Satan recognized that Jesus was of a higher authority, a higher power than him. He did what he was told in this regard. Yep. Another thought. Mm -hmm. Some people have asked the question, why did not Jesus actually do something about righting wrongs? For example, uh, stopping slavery and that kind of thing. 
But Jesus came to set up his kingdom, which was a spiritual kingdom. The principles that applied in the apply in the kingdom of God apply to all things. And uh, for example, you may remember somebody uh, came to Jesus one day and said, "Well, uh, should we pay taxes to the Romans?" Jesus asked for a coin. He said, whose inscription's on here? Caesar's. And Jesus said this, so wise, render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and unto God the things that are God's. In other words, the principles apply, but Jesus was not going to get involved in what I would call relatively petty issues. His purpose was to come and save sinners, lost mankind, which actually has an overflow to our day with regard to church and state. It is best to separate church and state. When church and state get involved together, there will always be problems. Well, that's about the end of this long speech, but I think (laughs) very important issues. The Old Testament again was Mm. quoted by our Lord. It was, and thank you for your comments, Len. Uh, Joe, you had some thoughts, and also Nick. This was a very subtle one, wasn't it? (laughs) Here, as was already mentioned, Satan was offering a treaty, I think. It didn't need, neither of them needed to die. Do you think Um, that was subtle, Joe? I'm just wondering, that's all. Sophisticated, sophisticated. (laughs) Uh, Okay, yeah. (laughs) It says, um, you know, for instance, you and I, Jesus, we can coexist. We can coexist. You, there's enough room for both of us. I'll have the earth. I'll be the prince of this world. And you can have the rest of the universe. You can go back to heaven. I will keep the earth. And there doesn't need to be any unpleasantness. There doesn't need to be a showdown. Just concede some territory and we can live together, okay, in harmony. Um, just bow down and acknowledge me as the Lord of this world. And none of this needs to happen. We can call it a truce. Now, we know that Israel, they struggled with this, didn't they? They did. You know, their treaties, um, trying to uh, push out and extinguish false worship. They were not to learn to live with it or to accommodate it. They were to eliminate it. And this was something that they had struggled throughout history, something to keep in mind. Meanwhile, what made me think of this was also on a personal level, Am I okay with conceding some territories in my life? Do I make allowances for a divided heart? Yes. So that I can keep Mm -hmm. a form of godliness that at other levels in my life, I am allowing Satan to have his domain. Yes. And I think that I'm in control. You know, he has his own territory and I am okay with that because I think that I can control the borders. Didn't Israel think that? Mm, yeah, we can, we can control this. We can do this. I am okay with living with the enemy. I believe that if I show tolerance, then he will leave the other areas alone. It's if a false had, hope, though, had, isn't it, Joe? Had Satan had imagined, even if Jesus had said, okay, Satan, we have a deal. There's room in the universe for you, your way and mine. Do you think that? sin and evil and Satan's way of disobedience would have been able to be contained on this planet? Or do you think it would have perfused 
and gone throughout the whole universe. It was contained, it was quarantined here on this planet. It was demonstrated that his way did not work. And if he thought, if Jesus had allowed for him to say, yeah, yeah, you can have your planet here and this corner of the this neck of the woods, it wouldn't have. It would have gone. And the same thing in my life. If I allow Satan a foothold in my heart, what will happen very soon? It's not. It, it, I won't be able to control it. It will spread to all of my life, my entire soul, and my connection will with control God the will whole lot, Joe. It will take oh. over. And I think that's a lesson, a present yeah. day lesson for us yes. that I can see for me. Yeah, good thought. Helen, perhaps you've got a comment, and Nick, uh, and then we'll move on. Yeah, and when I when I look at these three temptations, it appears to negate the greatest commandment of love. And I think Joe's touched on this. You she know, has. we're told yeah. that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might, Deuteronomy 6, 5. Mm-hmm. And these three seems to negate that commandment. I'd like to also make a comment that he was sent to the wilderness straight after he was baptised. Yes. And uh, I attended a baptism just the other week, and I said to my friend, I said, Stay close to the Lord, really close at this time, because I believe that that's the time Satan tries to get to us straight after our baptism. And I've seen too many people that have just gone gone haywire because of it. So we need to learn these these lessons very, very much. Yeah. Okay, Nick. Yeah. Just uh, very quickly, everyone. Um, Joe was mentioning a few things about the deal which Satan was trying to do with Jesus. In uh, my own understanding is that those all those things fall off the table because uh, uh, they wouldn't have any meaning, uh, the coming of Jesus on this earth, you know, to be born on this earth, because the only reason Jesus came on this earth is to save the sinful uh, people who gave uh, themselves to the enemy, to Satan. And that was off the table from my understanding, whatever Satan was trying to do. But what I want to say here, Len pointed out a couple of things a bit earlier, that um, Jesus was probably at his weakest point. I will say uh, that uh, Jesus was probably at his strongest because he spent in the wilderness 40 days and he came in front of uh, Satan so well prepared that he could answer every single challenge which uh, Satan brought to him. And that's a lesson which we should learn. We may go through some difficult stuff in our life. We may feel that uh, we are weak. But if we are connected with God, we are strong. And that's what Jesus did to us all. That's what Jesus showed us through his example. And I believe that we have a very good lesson to learn from this because um, our only example is Jesus and how he dealt with all the struggles. Well, we have been looking at some interesting stuff and I want to read Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17 and X10 and verse 34. God is impartial and treats all equally. But in Deuteronomy 10 and 17, it says, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, a great God, a mighty and a terrible, which regardeth not persons, nor taketh reward. And then in Acts 10 and 34, it says, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, 
of a truth I perceive that the God is no respecter of persons. Now here we're looking at a, a huge time frame between these two things, but it tells us in the Old Testament and the New Testament that God does not respect any particular person. He doesn't look to the, those that are very smart and very rich. He treats everybody exactly the same. And we are very blessed to be in that position because many of us aren't very rich and maybe not that smart, but God loves each and every one of us, irrespective of who we are or what we have. You know, this puts paid to the idea of what's called particular redemption. Some people believe that God has favourites where he picks out people, says you, you and you, you'll be saved, the rest of you can go jump. And that's not right. God does not respect or have favourites with anybody. All are invited to come to the Lord to be saved, not just particular ones chosen out. We've been talking about how the New Testament quotes uh, Deuteronomy. I think a very interesting link is found between Paul's writings in Galatians and the instruction of the Lord in Deuteronomy. In Galatians 3 verses 1 to 14, there's a whole um, section there about the disposal of bodies of executed criminals. Um, But particularly, Galatians 3 verse 13, uh, quoting that says, and this is Paul writing, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hung on a tree or on a pole or on a cross for that matter. You see, Deuteronomy, they counted anyone that died on a cross or was executed as a criminal as a complete no-no, a wretch as it were. In fact, it says in Deuteronomy 21, verses 22 and 23, if someone guilty of a capital offense is put to death and their body is exposed on a pole, you must not leave the body hanging on the pole overnight. Be sure to bury it the same day, because anyone who is hung on a pole is under God's curse. You must not desecrate the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. So desecrating the land is uh, connected here to leaving the body of a criminal on a pole. If I I want to just say that uh, Paul was quoting this, of course. I want to just say that if one who died on the cross was considered a cursed and a wretch, then I'm in good company because Amazing grace saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I am saved, and was blind, but now I see. We're learning today about um, the relevance of the Old Testament, and in particular the book of Deuteronomy in the New Testament. And we are looking at great examples how Jesus looked at the Old Testament. Obviously, at that time, there was no no new new testament but uh, jesus is also speaking not only for that present time but also for the future and even though earlier we said that and len mentioned this that jesus uh, why jesus was not taking some um, actions 
in regard to, let's say, slavery, you mentioned that, Len. I believe personally that Jesus addressed those things, not necessarily by saying directly, even though he said in various things, but even by his example. Because, you know, Jesus spoke about that we are all slaves of sin, and he came to free us from that slavery. Now, if we apply in our life, Jesus was in favor of abolishing slavery. You know, Jesus was teaching us that uh, we should consider all those things. Let me just um, quote some of the passages in the Old Testament and the New Testament. In Deuteronomy, for example, in uh, chapter 18 and around verse 16. I mean, we can read this before and after, but I'm just uh, quoting from there that, you know, Moses was chosen by God to deliver his people from the slavery in Egypt. And uh, with all the drama, with all the things happening in the wilderness, and uh, the people came to Moses and because they were afraid because of the manifestation of God and said, please don't let us, you know, be part of this or see the manifestation of God, but somebody like yourself, you know, just to go and uh, talk to God and mediate, if you like, in between God and us. The reason why people ask that is because they didn't have a personal experience with God themselves. They right. were just, they were just, uh, um, you know, bouncing from one side to the other in their journey. But it's interesting that uh, Moses talked to them and gave them advice how to act, not to be like other people, which surrounds them, which they're going to all sorts of sources, like even witchcraft and all other things, to see for themselves, you know, what, uh, you know, what needs to be done. And Moses, it, it's advising them not to do that, not to be like them. But at the same time, when they asked, Moses to be a mediator said, okay. And, and Moses spoke with God and God says, that's a good thing. You know, they're asking a good thing. And uh, Moses says something which is prophetic because he says that uh, God will give you another prophet. Mm -hmm. Now, yes. even after Moses, there were prophets, even after Moses. And you may apply to that one that God will continue to give you guidance. But that was a prophecy that God will raise a prophet. And we are talking today quite a bit about Jesus and his mm -hmm. work in the New yes. Testament. And you know what? We cannot do a bit or any little thing without Jesus. Yes. In our experience, in our walk with God, in our journey, in our, in our faith, we cannot do a thing without Jesus. Let me just read a passage in the Old Testament, if I can. And in... Uh, in 1st Timothy chapter 2, and let's look at verse 5, it says here, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ, Jesus. Mm -hmm. yeah. Now, if we talk about prophets, if we talk about mediators, if we talk about people who lead in Moses' time, let's start even from the Garden of Eden. To us today here, the only one mediator is Jesus Christ. And God was trying to tell them and teach them all through that history in the wilderness and everywhere else that only through Jesus 
we can be victorious. Are we choosing Jesus now or are we confused and maybe try to uh, observe and be led of all sorts of powers and forces mm-hmm. in sure. this world as the people surrounding Israel were tempted and Israel at the yeah. same time fall into that temptation. My calling today is before Brenton and panel, before probably we wrap it up now, is that we should allow the only mediator, Jesus Christ, to take mm. charge of our life and yeah. lead us in all understanding. That's a good thought, Nick. Um, can, uh, Len, would you wrap up for us? Um, there is a very fearful warning given in, in Hebrews 10. Now, I wonder if you could summarize that for us briefly and tell us what is actually being said there and what is not being said, perhaps. Uh, well, let me read a little bit. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. Yeah. We deliberately keep on sinning after we've received the knowledge of the truth about being saved. No sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Now here, the writer of Hebrews is referring back to the Old Testament. Yes. And then it goes on in verse 29. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God? And I think this is a very important warning for anybody, for people who reject or deny the existence or just laugh at the fact that Jesus came to save us from our sins, puts themselves on very unstable ground. Absolutely. Yes, um, the writers of the New Testament frequently quoted from Genesis, Psalms and Isaiah, but particularly Deuteronomy. And I think today our challenge is the same as that of Jesus. We are only safe in knowing and being obedient to God's word. I urge our listeners to use the sword of the spirit, which the Bible talks about, and indeed the whole armour of God, as we faithfully serve our loving Saviour day by day. It is just vitally important, listeners, if I could appeal to you to spend time in the Word, not time on YouTube or time on social media, spend time in reading God's Word, in reading the verse for yourself and applying the verse to yourself. That's what Christ did. That's why Christ was successful in the wilderness of temptation. He'd read the Scripture and he appropriated it to himself. And that's what is needed today. Ken, I wonder if you could close with prayer for us. Thank you. Certainly, Brenton. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you that we've had this day to look into your word. We're so grateful, Lord God, that you've preserved these words for all generations to come. Heavenly Father, there's so many blessings out there for people that would look into your word and act upon it. Also, Heavenly Father, we're also blessed that you're not a respecter of persons. Anyone can come to you no matter what their circumstances are. We just pray today, Heavenly Father, for all that hear this word today, that they may look into it and seek Jesus while he may be found. Yes. We ask this, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Mm. Mm. Amen. Amen. Amen.
Thank you, everyone, for your participation today. And uh, thank you, listeners, for joining us. Uh, it was our privilege to have you with us. And uh, uh, as we talked about uh, uh, present truth in the book of Deuteronomy and Deuteronomy and the New Testament, a very uh, important connection. We just want to invite you to join us for the last study of this series, which is called The Resurrection of Moses. Moses has been regarded one of the greatest prophets in the Bible and will learn and apply in our life some of the lessons from his life story and the resurrection. But I just want to leave you with this. We live in a time when confusion and distress and all sorts of things are creeping into our life. Be strong and believe in the one who can take care of all our needs in our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the mediator, the redeemer, the savior. He's the only one which we need in our life through these particular times. Trust in him and keep follow in his footsteps.